Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's Friday, June 24th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, allowing states to ban abortions. WTOP's Alejandro Alvarez stood in front of the high court when the decision came down. The news has just broken. The Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade after 50 years. And the right to get an abortion is now up to the states. We talk about the fate of this right in Virginia with WTOP's Neil Augenstein. Youngkin says that he wants to ban most abortions in Virginia after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And then we take a look at how Maryland officials are reacting to this decision with WTOP's Kate Ryan. That prompted Maryland Congressman Anthony Brown to say, you need to codify it in your constitution. And what are the actual arguments for and against this historic decision? We talked to two constitutional experts on either side of this issue to understand. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan is out today. At 9.50 a.m. this morning, Alejandro Alvarez walked up to the Supreme Court. Hey guys, as you can probably hear behind me, I am now inside the Supreme Court. I'm on First Street, as always, uh, in front of the Supreme Court building. Groups present with, I'd say, a few dozen each, uh, both on the abortion rights supporter side and the opposing side. And there are a whole a lot of police. Uh, in fact, we, we again have that setup where the Capitol Police are separating both of these groups with a solid line of bicycles. Those are Capitol Police officers with uh, uh, bicycles forming a bit of a barrier between these two groups. And by 10.10 a.m., just a few minutes later, the Supreme Court overturned Roe, ending a woman's constitutional right to get an abortion in the U.S. The news has just broken. The Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade after 50 years. At the moment the decision was handed down, the news hit the crowd that was out here. The group of abortion rights opponents that have been on First Street for over an hour now erupted in a massive cheer. And moments ago they were chanting, we are the pro-life generation and we have abolished abortion. Now at the same time, the group of abortion rights supporters that have been protesting nearby have started their own chant. And that being a chant of illegitimate, directed at the face of the Supreme Court building. But despite the tension, the protesters stayed peaceful. And I'm standing on First Street right now, and I'm overlooking the crowd. And while there have been moments of tension, I have witnessed no physical contact, no fighting, no arrests in the half hour to an hour since the decision was handed down. By 11.10 a.m. that morning, an hour after Roe fell, protests continued. There are still quite a few people outside the Supreme Court building on First Street. But the crowd sizes have dwindled somewhat, and I would say that about half of the people here are either media or law enforcement officers. That said, I do expect things to get quite busy out here uh, to pick up this afternoon. 
several local organizers had already had plans for day of protests in the event that a decision was handed down, which has happened today. So all the crowds out here may seem small by comparison at the moment. We're probably going to see those crowd sizes swell as the day goes on. With abortion rights now up to the states, we'll take a look at our region's response to this overturning of Roe. We start in Virginia with WTOP's Neil Augenstein. So, Neil, how is Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin reacting to this ruling? Are abortion rights in the Commonwealth at risk? Well, up to this point, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin has not disclosed whether he would push for a new law if Roe v. Wade was overturned. But within minutes of it being uh, overturned, he did say that he wants a new, tighter abortion law in in the Commonwealth. Youngkin says that he wants to ban most abortions in Virginia after 15 weeks of pregnancy. In a statement, he says he believes there can be a bipartisan consensus on protecting the life of unborn children when they begin to feel pain in the womb. And while many in Congress believe that's at 20 weeks, Youngkin says he prefers 15. Uh, He has appointed four lawmakers to come up with legislation to introduce when the General Assembly returns in January. But Youngkin realizes that in in Virginia, even though he calls himself a pro-life governor, there are a lot of people in Virginia who don't agree with him. So he realizes he'll have to work across the aisle to change the law. Mm. And Neil, you've been covering Virginia for years now. What does this mean? Is this a huge shift in you know stance around abortion rights in Virginia? What do you make of it? Well, until now, it's been legal to have a, a, an abortion in Virginia for uh, in the first or second trimester. And it's clear that in the last few years, there has been movement or at least discussion toward changing that and tightening that. And uh, the political realities are that uh, that Youngkin does have the chance to make some movement. But as he has observed, uh, there will need to be uh, bipartisan support to make any changes. Neil, thank you for telling us the reaction in Virginia on this historic decision. Thanks. Talk to you soon. We now turn to Maryland with WTOP's Kate Ryan. So, Kate, is the right to get an abortion at risk in Maryland? I think lawmakers would tell you no, and here's why. In 1991, they passed a bill that codified abortion as legal in Maryland. In 1992, they held a referendum uh, on the issue, so kind of sealing it. Mm. Uh, 60% of the voters at the time said they want this codified, they want it in Maryland law. So Maryland is very confident of its standing, and it was designed to, no matter what happens at the federal level, the state will protect this right. So that's where they stand right now. And here's the interesting thing about Maryland. Not only does it have, okay, you have the right to an abortion here, but this past legislative session, um, lawmakers and the person spearheading it was Delegate Ariana Kelly, mm. uh, passed a bill. What it does is broadens the category of people who can carry out or perform abortions, mm. not just licensed physicians, but physicians' assistants, midwives, Um, nurse practitioners. That bill passed. It was vetoed by Governor Hogan, and then they overrode the veto. Hogan said he vetoed it because he was concerned about letting anyone but a licensed physician carry out abortion. So his, his argument was, I'm concerned about the level of care that women may get. So 
once the decision came out, we've all been waiting for what does Governor Hogan say. Right. So I emailed Michael Ricci, his communications director, and uh, the response is basically, look, in 1992, Maryland voters approved the constitutional referendum legalizing and protecting access to abortion. I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, said Hogan, and the laws of Maryland, and that's what I have always done and will continue to do. In other words, the Supreme Court said it's up to the states. Maryland has made a decision, and that's that. That's right, and Maryland has a longstanding decision. However, if you read some of the legal opinions out there, you know, if the Maryland State House flips in the future. Laws um, can change. Exactly. So that prompted Maryland Congressman Anthony Brown to say, you need to codify it in your constitution. Mm. You need actually to change the Maryland Constitution and have it in there so it is protected for all time under any circumstance. A very interesting discussion going on. Ripple effects being felt in Maryland in the wake of this decision. Thank you, Kate. You got it. Thank you. And this afternoon, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser made clear where she stands on this issue of Roe. We agree in Washington, D.C. We are a pro-choice city. Nothing has changed in Washington, D.C. Abortion remains illegal. And women and girls we know, however, are worried. We are worried because we know we are vulnerable as a jurisdiction because of our lack of statehood. And after the break, we look into the arguments for and against the right to an abortion with two constitutional experts who sit on either side of this issue. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Abortion is a contentious issue, but what are the real legal arguments behind each side of this landmark Supreme Court decision that ultimately overturned Roe? To figure this out, we talked to two legal experts with opposing positions on the constitutional right to an abortion. We'll start with a legal argument that supports today's Supreme Court decision. For that, we look to Mark Rienzi, professor of law at Catholic University's Columbus School of Law. Mark, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. So to start off, what is the constitutional argument for the 6-3 decision of Dobbs and the overturning of Roe? How do we make sense of that? I think the best way to think about it is that the court was answering the question of, does the Constitution tell us the rules for abortion? And what the five justices in the majority said is essentially that it was a mistake back in Roe versus Wade for the Supreme Court to pretend that the Constitution answered that question. Um, and that the better answer is to say this is one of the many things that the Constitution just did not address and therefore left to the people. The way we do things in a free democracy is the people go and vote on it. Um, and the dissenter's view is essentially, well, this is so important that we should say it's in the Constitution, even if it's not. 
even if it's not written there. And so I think the dissenters, to the dissenters, the importance of the issue is kind of dictating the process by the way by which they think it ought to be decided. Um, they think, therefore, the courts ought to own it because it's so important. Um, you know, uh, I I have some sympathy for the majority saying, look, that's just not that's just not the way the Constitution operates. We don't just get to decide. We think something's important enough. Therefore, the people don't get to vote on it. We get to decide it. I mean, there are some things that are like that, things that we actually put in the Constitution, um, but not every important question gets taken from the people. And so, you know, Roe has been the precedent for around 50 years now. What does that mean? And have we seen such an overturning of precedent before? Yeah, what it means is something that I think all nine of the justices actually do agree on, which is that following precedent is important. But it is not uh, it is not a an inexorable command. It's not something that they can't get over. And the Supreme Court has, in several cases in the past, decided that it previously got something wrong. And to their credit, they have eventually admitted that there was an error. Um, the justices at the oral argument in this case specifically talked about Plessy versus Ferguson, for example, saying that the equal protection clause allowed for separate but equal. And eventually, the court, sixty years later saying that was wrong in Brown v. Board. So um, there is historical precedent for it. I think they do take precedent seriously, which is why they all spend a lot of uh, ink in this 200-plus page opinion explaining why they think this one can or shouldn't be overturned. Um, and you know, ultimately what the majority said was, we think this is wrong and it's been bad for the law and we should return this issue to the people. Mm. And this decision has real-world implications. What are the ethical implications of this ruling going forward for this country? So I think the, the ethical, it's kind of tied up with what you think the ethical imp implications of Roe versus Wade mm. were. Um, ultimately, I think all nine justices agree that abortion is a really important question. They just disagree with whether our Constitution answered that question or leaves it to the people to resolve. So, um, you know, some justices, I, I think six of them, uh, clearly think that the original idea in Roe versus Wade was either wholly or at least partially wrong when it said the people aren't allowed to decide this question for themselves. And instead, nine or maybe five justices will decide for them what the rules are. Um, and so I think ethically, they would say that the right answer is to give it back to the people. On the other side, of course, the dissenters say, no, abortion is too important not to say that the Constitution answered the question, and therefore the dissenters say it must be in the Constitution because it's so important. Mm. And so the common thread for the legal reasoning of Roe, you know, kind of dates back to contraception and is also tied in with same-sex marriage. So what should citizens looking at this decision think about, you know, those other rights to contraception and to same-sex marriage? Are those at risk now? I don't think so. Um, all nine of the, well, all the justices in the majority make clear that they don't think so, um, that they think the claimed right to an abortion was always different because it always involved the killing of, uh, at the very least, an unborn fetus or an unborn person, depending on one's uh, how one wants to characterize the baby. Um, so they say, no, abortion is and was always different. And therefore, those other uh, decisions aren't in jeopardy. Professor Renzi, thank you so much for your time. Happy to talk. Now, for the other side of this argument, the side that believes Roe is a constitutional right and that women should be able to get an abortion if they want to, 
To understand that legal perspective, we turn to Leah Epperson, professor of law at American University. Leah, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So what is the constitutional argument kind of against this SCOTUS decision on Dobbs? What did the three justices who wrote in the minority really say? Well, I mean, the real thrust of the dissenting opinion by uh, the three justices is actually looking at the fact that the Dobbs majority opinion overturned principles of liberty and self-determination that have held to be protected by the Constitution for more than 50 years. And so we see this as being a significant departure from Supreme Court precedent, from what uh, the court has identified in terms of the meaning of a right to privacy uh, over several decades. And I think what you see in the dissenting opinion is a response to that. Mm. And can you really kind of lay out for us and connect, you know, abortion to this idea of privacy. I think for many of us who aren't, you know, lawyers or just are in the legal world, the connection would be hard for us to make. So what is that connection really? Historically, the court has identified that there are rights that may not have been explicitly listed in the United States Constitution, um, that we, that any infringement, any law that restricts these rights or infringes upon these rights should be viewed very skeptically. We first saw this in the Griswold versus Connecticut opinion, and that was the opinion that actually found that there was a constitutional right to contraception for Mm. married people. And in that opinion, in the Griswold versus Connecticut opinion, um, that is where the court does talk about the notion of um, rights that could be protected and to be held could be held um, so fundamental. It is from Griswold, though, in this idea of a right to contraception that we do see the court identifying rights of uh, notions of privacy and bodily autonomy, self-autonomy. And so I think what is um, really noteworthy today in terms of the court's decision is that what does this portend for the future? Because Mm -hmm. it's not every justice, but you see, for example, in Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, that he suggests that this should all be up for questioning. This very notion that there are such a thing as fundamental rights that are protected under uh, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, uh, he questions. So in other words, you know, gay marriage, contraception, all those cases that you just mentioned, he's saying those could be at risk for a similar reason why they ruled the way they did on DOPS. Absolutely. And Thomas names these. He names Griswold. He names Lawrence. He names Obergefell. Uh, so he is, it's almost like a, a rallying cry to really call into question these, these other protections that the court has identified over the years. And although uh, the majority opinion suggests that, you know, is, is not taking it that far, Thomas explicitly does. And I think it's also worth noting that in the dissenting opinion, this is something that the dissenters have identified, saying On the one hand, the majority is suggesting that this analysis is only about abortion, but it cannot be only about abortion because what they are relying on is about the protection of a whole host of rights. And so at one point, the dissent says either the the sort of mass of this majority opinion is hypocrisy or additional constitutional rights are under threat. Mm. And what are the ethical implications of this ruling for women and for just the entire country? Well, I mean, I think one thing that is important to note about the decision is really, practically speaking, it means there are certain populations of women who are immediately more vulnerable. And quite frankly, 
I think this goes to a larger question about what it means to be protected by the Constitution, because there are populations in our country who have historically been less protected, who have historically been more vulnerable. And um, when our court has overturned precedent, it's been about expanding rights. It's been about inclusion. And this is an opinion that is not about that. And so as the dissenters correctly said, what is clear about the decision is the curtailment of women's rights and their status as free and equal citizens. Um, that, that's how they, uh, how they have phrased it. And so when you're talking about what it means now, it is an issue that would be sent back to the states. We know that, you know, there are a dozen states that have trigger laws, about a dozen others that have those zombie laws that were in effect pre-row that would go back on the books. And so the populations that would be really implicated by this are uh, populations that have been most affected by the maternal health care crisis, disproportionately black women, brown women, rural women, native women uh, will be most affected um, in terms of the implications of the decision on what will the country look like and what will each state do, we would likely have, honestly, two Americas. This is further dividing the country because you will have states in which abortions will remain legal and available, and you will have other states, as we've seen, that will uh, prohibit altogether. And it's not as though we have a country in which, you know, Justice Kavanaugh and his concurrence suggests, well, this is just up to states, but uh, the suggestion that one could just go to a state in which abortion is, is legal is not an option for many women. Um, so it's not that we can all just choose to move to states. If, if we want to live in a state with abortion, we just choose to move there. It doesn't actually happen that way. So I think the, the implications for what this could be down, down the line are quite startling. And, you know, we don't really know how far this will go, but it could go far. Professor of Law at American University, Leah Epperson, thank you so much for helping us understand this perspective. Thank you very much. And before we go, after covering this landmark decision by the Supreme Court, an historic shift in how our country deals with abortion rights, we'll end with a bit of a lighter note. So if you guys didn't know, there are actually sets of volleyball courts just near the Lincoln Memorial. It looks kind of crazy as you're driving just out of Rock Creek and rounding the Kennedy Center, you see these posts with nets and you're like, I'm in D.C., but it looks like a beach volleyball course. Anyway, those courts have been shut down for more than a year by the National Park Service, but they're set to come back. Originally, they were supposed to come in mid-June, but I just reached out to the National Park Service and Mike Litteris tells me that there was a mix-up in the contractor with the type of sand that they laid. So they put two cores of sand down, meaning the grains of sand were, I guess, too big. So when you're diving to dig that volleyball, like it just will scratch you up and stuff. So the courts won't be ready for play until at least after 4th of July. That's what Mike says. But when those courts are ready, I'll be out there. You'll see me out there. That's for sure. And that does it for us today. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Our intern, Rosie Hughes, also made this episode possible today. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. And follow us on social media, where we post content every day from behind the scenes. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great weekend, everyone.